when Jesus was questioned about fasting, he said, the attendants of the groom cannot mourn so long as the groom is present with them. When teaching on the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who held a wedding feast for his son. When teaching on the importance of holy living, faith, and that great and terrible day when the Messiah would come, Jesus began his parable this way. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who take their lamps and they went out to meet the groom. Five were foolish and five were prudent. When Jesus performed his first miracle, he and his disciples were attending a wedding in Cana. It was there that his mother came to him and said, they have no wine. When it was reported to John the Baptist that many followers of his were defecting, so it seemed, and started following Jesus, John the Baptist replied, you yourselves are my witnesses when I said, I'm not the Christ, I'm the one who was sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the friend of the groom who stands and listens to him. He rejoices greatly when he hears his voice. Once at a banquet, Jesus noticed that when the guests came in to the banquet, they started jockeying for positions at the head of the table or in seats of honor. And Jesus tossed out this little bit of information. If you're ever invited to a wedding... Maybe don't try to sit in the most important seat in the house. I mean, imagine how humiliating it would be when somebody more important than you shows up and you're asked to move. In the book of Revelation, after Satan is bound, evil is destroyed, the first heaven and the first earth passes away, John writes, and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. These verses, and many, many more in Scripture, emphasize the importance of marriage. Whether it's the societal aspect, the cultural aspect, or a metaphorical aspect, we use this thing, marriage, as a device to talk about the importance of certain situations. And that should lead us to the conclusion that marriage is important. Now, I could probably end this sermon by saying marriage is important about a hundred more times and then pray and we could leave. Because here's what I've noticed. Even in my own mind. Yeah, marriage is important. I mean, yeah, it's important. And then here they come, all the other thoughts. But I know a lot of people who've gone through divorces and they seem fine. Marriage is important. Yeah, but I mean, I know people who've been divorced and they remarried and their life's going swimmingly, so it doesn't seem as if it's really, truly affected them on a massive level. Marriage is important. And see, part of the problem with the culture that we live in is this, and this is not a part of my sermon. This is just a little soapbox I'd like to stand on for a moment. Part of the problem that we have in 
our, our weird culture is this. As soon as we celebrate one thing, that means we have to degradate something else. Marriage is important. What about divorced people? Can marriage be important and divorced people be important? Do we have to throw a flag on every single play? Are you really that referee? When reaching became a foul, that's when I started really hating basketball. I played physical. You can't throw a flag on everything. Listen, whether this hurts your feelings or not, whether your experience matches up with what we're saying here today or not, it does not take away from the fact, listen close, marriage is important. And I can promise you this, and I can prove it this way. If you had it to do over again, you who have been beat down in bad relationships, if you had it to do again, would you do it differently? If you say no, you are an idiot. Of course you would. So anything that we talk about today, this is not to look down our nose on anybody who has had a different experience. This is not for anybody outside of here to, to look at and say, well, I, th I think that was just kind of prejudiced or a little bigoted to talk about marriage in this one way. Listen, we're going to talk about marriage scripturally. There is no one here who was knocking marriage out of the park. Oh, we try. But I seriously doubt we're doing it. So this is for everyone. And hey, for me, let's do our very best that when we hear somebody celebrate something that we may agree or disagree with, we don't have to throw a flag just because some other group was not included into that group. Look, here's the biblical idea of marriage. It is one man and it is one woman. This is what it is. This is the biblical precedent of what marriage is. That is not to throw stones at anyone else. Do you understand? Here's what it is. Biblical marriage is this. There's no rocks being thrown. Biblical marriage is this. It's one man and one woman. I had a conversation not long ago. I want to share, I want to share part of it with you. I can't go into too much detail on it because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want this, betray this person's trust, but just a quick illustration. I've shared this with some of you before. I was talking with a person at one point, a lady, who challenged me on some biblical principles that she didn't agree with. Specifically in the area of people being able to just Go be happy wherever they want to go be happy and do whatever it is they want to go do without any judgment concerning relationships. I simply ask the question, if it were your husband and he came and he talked to me, what advice do you want me to give him? If he came to me and he is saying the same thing you're saying, 
People should be able to go out and sleep with whoever they want to sleep with, male or female. Live however they want to live, marry whoever they want to marry. And they can just do whatever they want to do. Like the church and the Bible needs to calm down. This is the way people should live. I said, if it were your husband, what advice would you want me to tell him? She said, well, if he's miserable, then he should leave. And I said, he's not miserable. Hypothetically, he's very, very happy in his relationship with you. But he wants to have a relationship with other women too. What advice do I give him? Yours? Or mine? I said, because if I give him yours, I, I imagine there's a lot of heartbreak in the future. But I promise you this. If I give him mine, here's the way it's going to go. Number one, she's a woman and she's worth more than the way you're treating her. You don't do that. Number two, you made some commitments as a man, and you need to fulfill those. If there's babies in the mix, then you got responsibility to them too and to raise them the right way. Listen, lady, your advice or mine? I see your point. This is not to throw stones at anyone. It's to simply celebrate and strive for what God has set before us. I have this pipe dream that I would like to run a marathon at some point in my life. But here's the problem. I can see the finish line from here. And it's this. At about 7.6 miles, I asked the question to myself, what are you doing? What on earth are you doing? To which I won't have a good answer. Whatever gassed me up to think I wanted to do this is probably I'm done with at this point. Let him who puts his hand to the plow not turn back. That's the goal. And let me also say this. If you have been beat up, battered, busted up in marriage, there is still redemption for you. And that standard still stands out there as the thing we should strive for. So don't lose heart. Scripture uses this phrase. God can return what the locusts have eaten. And here's what's beautiful about that. That insinuates there's nothing, sometimes there's nothing you can do about locusts. Some of you just got smoked in it, and there's nothing you can do. But God can return what the locusts have eaten. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Do you remember Trapper Keepers? <laughs> Some of you do, don't you? You remember those Trapper Keepers? They were kind of cool, weren't they? You remember those? It was like a binder. It's like a binder. It was Trapper Keeper. Trapper Keepers were pretty cool. They were opened up. 
And they were full of everything, all kinds of just pockets and all kinds. And then they had the big Velcro. <laughs> Teacher said, open up, your, open up your binder. You hear Velcro. <laughs> Boys had them, girls had them. Trapper keepers. If you think back to 7th, 8th grade, or whatever it was that you remember seeing trapper keepers, maybe 6th grade, should be a flood of thoughts, memories start kind of coming back to you. Do you ever remember seeing, or maybe even writing personally, a classmate's name? Maybe in bubble letters. Maybe in wispy cursive. For you young folks, cursive is something that, um, <laughs> it's kind of like, we'll just Google it, you can figure it out. <clears throat> if you've never written a check or you used to be take classes on it, so just Google it and see. It's really cool. Like calligraphy? <laughs> maybe in maybe in cursive, you wrote your name, ladies. And then maybe on the back end of your name you wrote somebody else's name. Crystal, and then there's Billy Jones over there. Jones, maybe. Or you wrote the first name just over and over and over inside your trapper keeper on that piece of paper or in that diary you kept in your room. Boys probably didn't spend a whole lot of time writing out names on paper. But girls did. I remember seeing it. I had a sister, too. So you could see these pieces of paper with this wispy. Oh, you could just, you could smell, you could smell love in the air, these just cursed. Thomas, oh, just so excited. You could see her laying on her bed, trapper keeper out in front of her, notebook paper, a whole collection of colorful pens, and she's writing them writing his name over and over and over. Keep that picture in your mind. Chapter 3, verse 1. All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but I did not find him. <sighs> Got so much love to give and no one to give it to. All this emotion in my heart, but I could never tell him. Where is the one my heart loves? You can almost picture this girl. I think what this is, is I think that she has already met Solomon, but I think what she is doing is she's backing herself up to those early days. Trapper keeper days when... She was writing names, and she was thinking about all these different boys, and she put herself back in that place and remembered back to, oh my goodness, I've been waiting for him to show up for so long. So, so glad. I looked for the one my heart loves, but I did not find him. Guys, I got some terrible, terrible news. Dads and daughters, terrible, terrible news for you. At some point, these little girls that are in our house are going to grow up and want a different man to be in their house, not you. 
Like, that's really, 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 really hard to get. But some, I'm going to need some counseling for some of you older guys who've seen this and gone through this. Because when mine zip, it's like, this is going to be awkward, isn't it? You know? We're all three going on a date. We're all three going to go eat dinner. Like, this is crazy. But they really do want to get a different man than you. Wow. Dad, that's, dads, that's coming. That's just crazy to me. And you, this little girl is like, oh, I remember those days. Then there's this phrase. Verse 2. I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but I did not find him. To varying degrees, all young girls are doing this same thing, looking for the one that their heart loves. To varying degrees, like all girls, young single girls, are looking for the one whom their heart loves. They're going to get up and go about the city and look for him. <laughs> Dad's the advice is, don't, don't go there, don't go anywhere. Wait, he'll show up here. If he doesn't, fine, but stay. So I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked, I looked for him, but I did not find him. Verse 3. The watchman found me as they made their rounds in the city. I asked them, have you seen the one my heart loves? Verse 4. Scarcely had I passed them. When I found the one my heart loves, I held him, and I would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. And then she recommits this relationship. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Who are these watchmen? So I went about the city, and the watchman found me, and I asked the watchman, have you seen the one my heart loves? Now, I have, a personal, I have a personal view on who I think these watchmen are. I think this is a metaphorical picture. I think this is pointing to something very, 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 very important. This phrase will reemerge. Anytime you're interpreting Scripture, one of the first rules is you interpret Scripture with Scripture. You begin looking at the constants that are unfolding in Scripture, and you begin there. It should all point back to itself. There shouldn't be these spry pieces that just shoot out everywhere that have no connection. They should point back to itself. This passage will reoccur in chapter 5. This time, though, she goes out into the city, and the watchmen find her, and they beat her, and they take away her shawl. Now, it's super interesting, and I can't wait to get to that chapter because it's really, really interesting. But this time, the watchmen are looking out for her and directing her, and scarcely had she passed them when she found the one her heart loves. In chapter 5, she comes upon the watchmen, and the watchmen beat her and shame her, berate her, take her shawl from her. I believe the watchmen are a picture of 
the Holy Spirit in the life of this woman. Here's the reason why. Later, when she is shamed by the watchman, it is because she is proving herself to be selfish inside of her relationship with her husband. And he is showing her massive amounts of kindness and redemption. And she does not reciprocate that back to him. And so he backs up. She has conviction and she goes looking for him and in the process loses her shawl, her covering. It is this noble piece of cloth, this thing that identifies who it is that she belongs to. And now she is out from underneath her husband. She is away from him. There is now no protection. There's no... There's no um, affection anymore she is now away from him and so what i think this is is the holy spirit's work inside of the life of this woman now i know this could seem like a reach and i don't like to jump out this far but it's just consistent when we get to chapter five scarcely had i passed them when i found the one my heart loves i held him and i would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Chapter, uh, chapter three, verse six, now begins a wedding. But before we jump to a wedding, let's ask this question. Men specifically, Inside of the city, that is the home, have we created an environment where the Holy Spirit and our children have access to one another? Here's the deal. How old were you when you realized your parents didn't know what they were doing? Like some of you were really early. You're like, these idiots have no idea what they're doing. Some of you did not know until you had your own kids and you were like, they were winging it? Like, I'm winging it. They're winging it. They winged it. Like, I thought they knew stuff. They don't know. They were in the dark. Like, how did this even happen? Like, we're just winging it. I can tell you this. <laughs> I'm sure some of you would agree. Had not it been for God or the Holy Spirit moving in our life, uh, which, I mean, I guess it could still happen. I mean, I still got some, I still got my two at home, but. You can really botch your kids up pretty good, right? You can really botch them up. Like you can, by cutting off the Holy Spirit's access to them, by not creating an environment, an ecosystem, to where they have access to the Holy Spirit, to where they're hearing scripture read to them. They're, they learn how to pray. They live in a home where what they've read in scripture comes out in the lives of their parents. That's access to the Holy Spirit and to the children. That is the watchman. Think about what watchmen do. They post themselves up. Some watch the perimeter. Some watch the inner goings of a city. They, they wander through. They protect. They lead. They guide. This is what watchmen do. This is what the Holy Spirit does scarcely had she passed them she says have you seen them ladies let me tell you something if you're single uh and men same thing 
if you're single, if you're unmarried, listen, let me, let, me, let me put this out here to you. The prayer should be this. God, have you seen my future spouse? Like, that's the starting point. God, have you seen my future spouse? Parents, if you've got kids who aren't married, that's a fine prayer to pray too. Hey, God, have you seen my kids as future spouse? Will you be with their parents? Don't let those morons make bad decisions. Will you keep an eye on those little rascals? Will you please protect that little girl? These are the prayers we pray forward. Singles, listen, if you want to get it right, you should probably start by asking the watchman. Hey, God, I want to marry the one you want me to marry. God, you bring them to me. That's the starting point. The Holy Spirit's work begins there. You bring him into that. Listen, if you're single, let me tell you this. Um, well, here, just let me, let me go the other direction. Hey, married folks, if you've ever found marriage to be difficult to the point of nearly breaking, would you just raise your hand for just a second? I don't know if any of you singles looked around when that happened, but it was only like almost all of them. Okay? The other ones, they would raise their hand, but they don't want to get in trouble. Like he's like, yeah, it's been hard, but I'm not there putting my hand up. There's no way. Like it's hard. And you can get it wrong. There's two important decisions that you have to make in your life that have massive, massive, massive repercussions. They will bring in their wake either massive amounts of destruction or blessing. Two decisions that you can make in this life that will massively change your future. The first one is this. What are you going to do with Jesus? Make him the Lord of your life or not. If you don't, it will affect your now, but it will ultimately affect your eternity and who you marry. Because who you marry will matter a lot. And, and let, me take you back to, let me take you back to something that's very important. If we are going to bring the manifest presence of God into the lives of the people around us, if we are going to step forward and carry out the great commission as Jesus has asked us to do, you know one of the very best places for that to begin? In our homes, in our marriages. There is a scriptural standard when it comes to implementing leaders in churches. They are not young. They are the husband of one wife. They are not drunkards. They don't do dirty business deals. They have a good reputation. They're not hot-tempered. These are the standards for leading the church. Here's what Scripture also says. If a man can't lead his home, he doesn't have any business leading the church. 
If you don't get these two things right, it affects everything down to your ministry on how you're going to please God. It matters there. Marriage is important. I could say it a hundred times and we could close the sermon here. Marriage is important. Verse 6. The wedding begins. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense, made from all the spices of the merchant? Look, she says. It's Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. Hey, ladies, if that's your man and those are his men, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. When, <laughs> when I got married, my wife and I, well, Kate, my fiance at the time, we're at the church. This is the day before. It's our rehearsal. And so her brothers are both pastors. And so they're going to officiate the wedding. And so they're up front waiting. And they're very, 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 very good men. And I'm waiting on all my guys to show up. My friends are kind of like you. Which is different. Than... Kate's side of the family. One by one, they started walking in. Here comes my brother, Jeff. The forever champion of the underdog. Ready to make a business deal. Extremely generous, but not afraid to tell you exactly where to put any of your other ideas. He can turn air into money. He can start a business and sell it. He's the real deal. And he does love the Lord. In comes my friend John. John's about five foot eight by five foot eight. He's a black man from Tracy, California, one of my closest friends. He could sit down with you and he could show you how to make money in ways you've never even thought about. I've had conversations with him that have, he has said numbers to me that I don't know that I could write them down when he's talking about business deals. He is a business genius and he's as good with money as he is in the weight room. And in the weight room, he could bench almost 500 pounds. In fact, it wasn't long ago I talked to him and he can still do it. He comes walking in. Another guy comes walking in by the name of Daniel. He was one of my good friends in high school. One of the bravest guys I've ever met in my entire life. I watched him play football and go to practice for a week with a broken ankle while we were in college. Tough. And he loves the Lord, like John and like my brother Jeff. In comes the other guy. He's a little older. 
His name's Dickie. He has mentored and continues to mentor young troubled kids in ways that a lot of people couldn't do. Oh, he can be abrasive, and he's got a mouth like a sailor. He loves the Lord, and he loves me. He came walking in. Then comes walking in Jake, Marine sniper. Hair and beard. He comes walking in. This guy was a cowboy on the big thousands and thousand acre ranches in the southwest and rode for days, not seeing fences anywhere. And he was a Christian. And these cowboys were rough. And he baptized some of them in the wooden horse trough that was there. They would leave and they would head to the houses of ill repute on the weekends. And he would stay. He loved the Lord. And in comes these men ready to stand beside me at my wedding. These were my groomsmen. When they showed up, I was proud to be surrounded with them. And, and, to, and, to, and to paint it just a little bit, just a little bit clearer, if you walk into a room and those guys are in that room, you don't have anything to offer. There's nothing interesting enough about you to offer anything into those conversations because they are enough. That's how I feel when I'm around them. I'm by far the least interesting person in that group. Here comes Solomon with his 60 greatest warriors, all of them with a sword on their hip, ready to battle the terrors of the night. Oh, there's this other wedding that I went to. That was my favorite wedding. My wedding was my favorite wedding, but my most favorite wedding I've ever attended or, or been able to be a part of was for my friend Chanel and Brian. He was an army ranger. He had five groomsmen. She is a wonderful, beautiful soul, a uh, speech and language pathologist. When their wedding party showed up, these beautiful girls come walking in and they hug Chanel and they're all just together and they're giddy and it's just so beautiful. And then his guys walked in. All military, five of them. Two of them, rangers. One of them, um, an officer with the reserves. Another one, an army doctor. And another one, a helicopter pilot. And when they come walking in, they now owned the room. I don't know who the pastor of that church was, but he wasn't important and I don't remember him. They came in. He's trading with me. Here's the mic and here's the thing. And they came in. No idea. Couldn't identify him ever if I had to. But when they walked in the room, it now belonged to them. And listen, I mean this when I say it. When they were together, just them, they were clown shoes is what they were. They were hitting each other, carving into each other, saying terrible things to one another. But then when somebody else would come into their presence, they would just put themselves together. It didn't matter if it was a little kid, if it was a woman, if it was an older man. They became the most polite people in the world. It was a beautiful, beautiful wedding. 
Anytime I read this passage, it makes me think of Chanel and Brian's wedding. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices? Look, it's Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. So how do I know if I'm picking the right one? Is there any way to know? Well, let's start with we ask the Holy Spirit. That's our first step. But here's some other ways that we can know. Let me outline these for you. He or she is coming up from the wilderness. The wilderness is this is this place, I believe it's Midbar is one of the words that they use for it. It is this desert, wilderness. It is a place of being beat down. Do you notice where Solomon is coming from? Not currently living. Listen, if you're picking a spouse, this is important. Are they coming out of their troubles or are they in their troubles? Because that should help inform your decision on whether or not you should take this person home to mommy or daddy. Are they in the midst of it? They live there. They got a P.O. box, an address there. They got a street address. What's your address? Route 1, Midbar. Wilderness. This is where I exist. I'm in the throes. I'm not struggling. I live there. No, no, no. Solomon's not. He's coming through, passing through. Listen, all strong men will. All strong men will go through hard times. There will be moments we will have to come out of the desert. There's moments that take us in there, and there's moments that bring us out. We have to be coming out of the desert. Listen, men, if you find yourself in a place to where it seems like you've been stuck there for a long time, you're going to have to find some help. My advice, find 60 warriors better than you and see if they can help pull you out of there. Here's a good piece of advice. I know I'm getting, on a, I'm getting on a little bit of a rant here, but this is really just good information. Guys, never, have I said this a thousand times here? Never be the best guy in the room. Like never be the best guy in the room. There's always an area of your life that you don't have a check. There's always an area. In those areas, find somebody who will contribute to that for you. There's people who handle money better than me. There's people who handle their temper better than mine. There's people who handle uh, sin better than I do. There's people who work harder in the weight room or, or exercise than me. There's people who are more committed to their family and to their kids than I am. But I can tell you this. There are some areas in my life that are better than theirs. And that's what makes that a good friendship. Never be the best guy in the room. Now that's hard because here's the deal. If you look up and you think, huh, well that's going to be kind of hard for me. Two problems have occurred, okay? Guys, listen close. Like if you look up and you're like, huh, that's going to be kind of hard for me to find somebody that's not better than me. I can tell you where you went wrong, okay? Let me just, let me just break in on this real quick before you let that thought process take you somewhere weird. Okay, then it's going to be hard for me to find somebody who's better than me. Okay, good. You spent an awful lot of energy surrounding yourself with idiots. So start there. If that's your situation and that's what you think, start there. You must have surrounded yourself with morons on a consistent level. The second one would be this. 
It's going to be really hard for me to find somebody who's, who's better than me. You're a narcissist. That's part two. You're not looking at yourself clearly. Like, that's where we have to begin. Like, either you have spent a lot of time insulating you, or you have spent a whole lot of time highlighting you. Look at yourself with clear eyes. Find somebody who can stand in the gap beside you. We are not in the wilderness. We are coming out of the wilderness. He or she has godly characteristics. I love this first part. Who is this coming up out of the desert? I alluded to this last week. Like a column of smoke. The picture is all of the Hebrews coming out of Egypt and God is leading them by a pillar of smoke in the desert. Imagine this. All these people in the middle of this desert, this wilderness, what they need is shade and God travels as a cloud over the top. Forever, I thought to, me, I thought to myself, this must be a pillar in front. But it seems as if this is a pillar over the top, a cloud that shades them. And then by night, when the desert gets cold, it is a pillar of fire. Who is this man? Is the man you're looking to uh, date or marry? Is he leading anyone else? Is he doing anything for anyone else? Or is he what we would call a sponge, a leech? It's only about him. He has to be leading someone else. That's what this characteristic is. Who is this coming up out of the desert? Like a column of smoke? Like God? Oh, it's Solomon. That's beautiful. Ladies, I tell you what, the fact that she would say that is really, really incredible. The fact that he could be that is really, really incredible. Can you imagine what your marriage would look like if we could pull that off, guys? If we could pull off like I'm going to be that godly of a man and then she would say it when I do it? Unfortunately, at my house, it works this way. Sometimes I pull that off, but she's never around when I'm just like... It's like I'm just too infrequent. Our schedules are, I'm about to schedule it better. Like I, so I'll do it, she'll say it. It's like, hey, look, here we go. We like each other. This is awesome. Uh, n- number one, he or she is coming up out of the wilderness. Not staying there, they're coming out of it. Number two, he or she has godly characteristics. They have godly characteristics. Does this person that you're with, that you're dating, if you're a single, is this person, does this person have these godly characteristics? Are they there to protect other people? Are they warm? Are they shade? Are they leading? Number three, is he or she wise? Look at this verse here. Perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant ship. I absolutely love this. These are temple, these are temple uh, terms. What's that man like? What's that woman like? Smells like you've been to church. It smells like, like your wisdom, your eyes, your life. Something's different with you. I can smell it. There's something about you that is a fragrant aroma. These are the same terms that it talks about when they would make sacrifices and God would smell it and it came up before the Lord as a fragrant offering. She says, this is a man of sacrifice. Is that us? That's good. That's really good. Number four, is his or her tribe made up of other godly people? Solomon's got 60 warriors. 
<laughs> I gotta tell you this story. Oh man, this is so great. When my oldest daughter turned um, uh, 15, I got a hold of some of the ladies, some of you ladies who are here, I got a hold of some of the ladies from the church, and I said to them, would you do me a favor? Would you write a letter to my 15-year-old girl? And would you tell her what she needs to prepare herself for in the coming years? <laughs> These girls sat down and wrote stuff that would peel the paint smooth off the wall. Sm I mean, smooth off the wall. One letter in particular began this way. I lost my virginity at your age. Boom. I handed these over to her. She sat down at the table and she unfolded them. I explained what they were and she started reading. She was looking at the paper about this long when she goes, I said, keep reading. She goes, <laughs> and this went on page after page after page after page. Is your tribe full of godly people? Listen, you know what's true? You know what's true? At some point as parents, our kids will go outside of our grasp. Like I can control mine right now, right? With keys, I got the keys, I got the little magical jingle things. They can go or not go, and it's mine. It's on me. Like I can control everything that goes on right there. Here's the problem. At some point, they're going to go, and they are now outside of my reach. Did you create an ecosystem of people who, is also, who are also going to stand in the gap for your kid? Somebody, they might not call you, Mom. They might not call you, Dad, but they might call them. Have you created that? That's another good reason to surround yourself with good people. That's why I think church is a practical, this is a practical institution. Like you should be here for that reason. So that if you see my kids <laughs> smoking cigarettes behind the gunny sack, like that's a convenience store back where we come from, smoking cigarettes behind the gunny sack, you could spank them. That's what I mean. You catch them back there being funny, you spank them. You know how you know that? You know how you get called into meetings like those? Like those that we got called into when we were young by people who were not our parents? Because we were connected. I sat down in front of, I got called into the church a couple of times when I was a tyke for things that I didn't even know anybody knew anything about. And my mom and dad were never in those meetings. I was a minor. And they called me in there and set me down. We need to have a conversation. I'm like, I don't even think anybody knows I'm here. They had to have called my mom and dad, but when I got home, ain't nobody said a word. Ain't nobody ever said a word to me about any of them. Set me down in the preacher's office, looked me square in the eyes. Were you drunk at the ball fields? I was at the ball fields, but I, don't, I wasn't drinking. I think you're lying. I don't know, most certainly not. Why am I here? Who said you could do this? Is this a, no, you know I can do this. These people were in my folks' tribe. Church is practical. You want, to have a, you want to have a safety net for your kids? What are you doing not bringing them here? Like, this is smart. What's your tribe look like? Number five, is he or she, does, she, does he or she show excellence? Do they show excellence in some specific field? This may seem like it's kind of random, but do they show excellence in some field? Look at this verse. 
Verse 9, King Solomon, he made the carriage for himself. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts are made of silver. Its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple. Its interior lovingly inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. Did you hear what Solomon just put together right here? This guy has built cities. He has built a temple. He has built a palace. He has built stables. He has done all kinds of stuff. And he obviously builds furniture. He obviously cut down some logs to do this from Lebanon. He knows how to handle gold and silver. He's upholstered it with purple. It may not seem like a big deal, but I want you to consider this. If you find a guy who's proficient, I mean excellent, in some field, he knows what he's doing, it's a sign of commitment. He has found something that he has stuck to for a long time, and he's figured it out. That's a good indicator that this is a person of commitment. If you look at them and they say, I'm really good at call of duty, run. Listen, if they go makeup tutorials, it's like, okay, anything else? I'm really good at doing my makeup? Like, okay, super, you two should go separate ways. Don't be around one another. This is not a good relationship. Is there a skill? Do they show themselves to be excellent in some field? Because that indicates commitment. They are able to work at something and get good at it. That's a good, good feature. That's number five. Number six. Does he or she possess joy? Look, how, look what this says. Come out, you daughters, verse 11, sorry, chapter three, verse 11. Come out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon wearing the crown, wearing the, crown the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. Guys, you wanna know something cool? And I know this is true. This is, this is actually, this is actually like uh, anecdotally for me. Like I know this is true at my house and I know it's true elsewhere. And I think I can prove it this morning. Have you ever seen an ugly guy with a beautiful wife? Yeah. Right? He, 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 it's like, huh. Well, that's puzzling. And then you spend some time with him and then all of a sudden he gets more and more handsome the longer you sit and you visit with him. Why? Because there's something about him that is just sweet, that's good. It's full of joy. Have you ever met somebody who you thought to yourself like, oh, they are way different than I thought they were. You get around them and there's something about them that is just so joyful that it changes their appearance. Hey guys, you know what? Uh, you know what works really good at home? Being funny. You know what works really good at home? Being lighthearted. You know, you know what works really, 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 really good at home for the marriage, specifically intimacy? Joy. Do you know why? Because think about this. We are so good at giving our 100% to our projects, to our hobbies, to our jobs, to our friends. And then what our spouses get is the leftover tired carcass of a well-intentioned man. Ladies, raise your hand if I'm right. Mm. Two of you think I'm right. 
This is what happens. Guys, we even know this is true. We pour out all our creativity, all our funniness, all our everything with the guys at work or wherever we are into our hobbies, all of this stuff that we just produce. And then when we get home, there's something about this barca lounger, this lazy boy, this chair. We just need to post up. We'll probably fall asleep in it. We've lost all creativity. They signed on for 100% of us and we're giving them about 15%. This woman says, this man is full of joy. He's full of joy. That means we have to restructure the way we do marriage. Marriage is important. If we expect the manifest presence of God to move into the lives of our homes, our community, our city, the world, then it has to begin at our marriage. Last, uh, last thing. Next week, this couple will pull out of the church parking lot. Attached to their bumper will be tin cans. There'll be shoe polish all over the windows, and they will be headed straight for the Marriott. And I promise you next week, Everything we're going to talk about is going to be really, really spicy. And so if there are some conversations you may not have had at your home yet with your children, um, you either need to get that done between now and then, or I would suggest, I would suggest some classrooms uh, downstairs where we will have some people who will help uh, take care of those kids while we talk about the things we need to talk about, just to give you an idea on what's coming in chapter 4. Um, Christian uh, second century uh, Christian scholar Origen, third century Christian scholar Jerome, both said this. Jews did not let their young men read this book until they were of the age of 30. It's too much for them. They have to wait until they're 30. So, what we'll be talking about next week, it will, um, it will, it will enlighten, it will enlighten you, it will enlighten you, it's, it's, uh, it's really good. Uh, marriage is the fundamental building block of the Christian life. This is how we will first and foremost impact the lives of our children and those around us. Let's pray. Next week, be here, and remember, you've been warned. Let me pray. God, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for how it speaks to us and how it moves in our heart and in our life. We love you. Pray that you will uh, be with us this afternoon. Um, Lord, as we, uh, as we gather together with friends, we celebrate, we have a good time. Lord, uh, we ask that you will help us keep you first. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good afternoon.